God, we love you. And we are, again, just thankful for you and thankful for your presence here with us this morning. God, I pray that, uh, that as we continue here and as we open up your word and as we continue to talk about, about multiply and specifically today about the church, God, would you just speak through me this morning? There's, there's no point in just me up here talking with, with human words. God, it needs to be your words for your people on your day. Because it's all for you. We give you all the glory. We give you all the thanks. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, <clears throat> we are in, uh, in week five of Multiply, but we're in part two. Uh, part one uh, was the first three weeks, and we just really talked about what is a disciple, right? And, and it came down to this. came down to if you really believe what you say you believe. If, you, if, if it really is a belief that you hold, that, that Jesus came, that he died for you and for me, that he rose again, defeated sin and death so that we might have eternal life with him. If that is your belief, and if you believe in John 3.16, that God so loved not just you and me, but the world that he gave his one and only son, then there will be action involved in your faith. There must be a tangible expression of what you believe if you really believe it. That's really what it came down to as we talked about being a disciple. And last week we started part two. And in part two we were just talking about the church. Where, where does this happen? Where does this growth foster? Where do we, where do we become the disciples who make disciples? And, and where do we, where's kind of home base for us? And this is home base. This is the church. Right, and last week we talked about really the call to, to one another, right? the call to be with one another, to care for one another. As Francis Chan said in the Multiply book, you cannot one another yourself. Right? You have to have, be with other people to, to have a one another. And we're called to one another. In, in this week's reading, Francis Chan, he, calls, he gives a, a name to the church and he calls it a compelling community. A compelling community. What is it that makes the church a, a compelling community? It's not just the fact that we are with each other and that we care for one another. He makes the argument that it's got to go, it has to go deeper than that. It has to be deeper than just being with each other, just meeting together. And, and he uses this, this phrase, it's not his, it's in scripture all over the place, of, of being a united community of the unity of the church. Now, what does it mean to, to be a united church? What does it look like for us to, to be a church de defined by our unity? Not just the fact that we are together and that we care for one another, but that we're united. We're united. If you turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 15, there's a passage in here that talks about this. There's actually two passages we're going to talk about today. This is just the first one. How many in here would say that they want the church to glorify God? Yeah, amen. I think every hand should be up. Every head should be nodding yes, right? The church should glorify God. That is our desire. That is our want. We, we want to be doing this. We are called to do this. The church should give glory to God. All right, Romans chapter 15 Paul prays this prayer kind of with that in mind in verses 5 and 6. 
It says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. We'll go over that state of mind, that, that, um, <clears throat> that attitude of mind in just a second. But may, I'm going to read this again. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and with one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One mind and one voice. This is Paul's desire for this church here in Rome, right? One mind and one voice that you may glorify your Father in heaven. So what is this attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had? What, is this, what does this even mean? What is Paul referring to here? Well, I think if you turn to John chapter 17 with me, I think we'll, we'll find out here a little bit. John chapter 17 Jesus is, is praying, and we actually talked about this, this passage just a few weeks ago, as we were talking about uh, in our Rooted series. We talked about this passage, John chapter 17, starting at verse 20. <clears throat> Jesus is praying for his disciples, and also for you and for me, which we'll see in just a second. And here's what he says in John chapter 17, starting at verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. Talking about his disciples. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also... For those who will believe in me through their message. Guess who that is? Raise your hand if you believe in in him through their message. That's you, okay? That Jesus is praying for you right now. That all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And I don't want you to miss this part. They'll be brought to complete unity. Why? Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. This is Jesus' prayer for you and for me and for, for everyone that would come along after us through our message. That they may be one, Father, just as you and I are one. Why is that so important to Jesus? So that the world may know. So that the world may know that you have sent me. And not only that, that you have loved them even as you have loved me. So not only will, will the world know by our unity that, that Christ came for them, but also that, that he loves them. And this is how important unity is for us. This is, this is deeper. This is a much deeper level than just being with one another and caring for one another. There has to be a unity, as Paul says in Romans here, that of one mind and of one voice that we would glorify our God in heaven. And Jesus says that, that as we are united, that the world will know not only that Jesus came, but that he loves them. As we are united. Now, this is why we pray for unity. This is, this is the witness of the local church. This is the witness of, of this church. That as we are united, that the world will know that Jesus came. And that the world will know that God loves them. Man, I think this is just, this is honestly just fascinating stuff for me. 
that through the unity of us, that, that through our unity, that the world would know. So I think we need to begin to, to pray for unity in this church and in the church, not just this church, but the overall church, Big C Church. We need to pray for unity. Why would we pray for unity? Because so the world will know, and so the world knows that, that, that Jesus loves them. But I think there's three reasons, really, that we need to be praying for unity. Here's the, the first reason is this, is because we, you and I, we desperately need each other. We desperately need each other. Last week we talked about how in the church there's no lone rangers, right? That we need to be with one another, we need to care for one another, but we desperately need each other for this unity to become a, a thing, right? Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we looked last week at 9, and, 9 to 13. We're going to kind of go right before that this time, verses 3 to 8. That we desperately need each other. Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Right, here's here's the, the main gist of what Paul is saying here. Each and every one of us has a gift. A God-given gift, a God-given talent, a God-given ability that we should be using for the kingdom. Right, oftentimes, here's what happens within the church and, and even outside the church. We, we kind of come to this mindset of, man, I wish I could pray like so-and-so. Man, I wish I could sing or, or I wish I had the musical talent of so-and-so. Man, I wish I, could, I wish I could lead. I wish I could speak. I wish I could, you know, you fill in the blank like fill in the blank. Right, but, but here's the thing I think we need to remind ourselves of, that God purposefully did not give each of us the same gifts. We are all, we all have different gifts for different purposes in the same kingdom. In the same body. That we are united, not because of the gifts and the talents that we have, but because of who we use those gifts and talents for. That, that's, that's the unity there. Why, why, do we, why do we focus on sometimes the, the things that we can't do, right? I think that's just kind of a cultural norm. We look at the things that we can't do. And I've said this before, you get, a, you get a grade in school, and where do you automatically look? You look towards the worst grade. And then you try and figure out how you can improve on your worst grade, right? You watch TV for five minutes, and you're going to see all kinds of commercials that tell you how bad you are at this and this and this and this, and why you need their product to make you a better person. Right? You drive down the street, you look at billboards. Billboards tell you, hey, this would make you even cooler. This would make you even better. This would make people like you more. 
Right? This, is, this, is, this is the way that our culture is. We, we wish that we could, we're, we're kind of conditioned to want more, to want to be like this person or that thing, or to want, you know, so-and-so. Or this is the way we're conditioned. Right? But I think when we, when we begin to, to think of ourselves as one body and as a united body, that things start to look differently for us. One of my major weaknesses in life is communication. I'm not talking about like standing on a platform and, and speaking. I think I'm pretty good at that. But communication in the sense of like remembering to call people or remembering to send out an email or remembering to make an order on time for Sunday school material, right? Or to, to remember like all this, this administrative kind of stuff. I'm not very good at the communication part of that. I married Rachel, who is amazing at all that kind of stuff. Right, Rachel's idea, I, I, this, I wish this was a lie. Like a month or two ago, we were sitting on, we were, we were just kind of hanging out, and she goes, man, I just need to sit on the couch and relax and make a list. And I was like, make a list? Are you kidding me? Like, this is not relaxing. Like, her, her idea of relaxing is thinking of all the things that she's going to do when she's done relaxing, right? This is, this is not relaxing to me. We balance each other out. We need each other. We, we desperately need each other, right? There's times when, when I go home and, and she says, did you call this person? Did you call that person? Did you write this email? Did you do this? Did you do that? And I'm like, Man, well, I got maybe three out of those four, but I need to do the other one. Thank you for reminding me, right? This, this, is, this is how we bound. We, we are all one. We are all united, and we desperately need each other. We have been built in different ways. We have different strengths and different weaknesses. But if we put all of our strengths together, I guarantee you it's all covered. Amen. Because God knows exactly what he's doing. God didn't just leave the church hanging. God didn't just give a church a, a whole lot of one thing and none of the other things. I guarantee you, if we were to take a, a survey of all of our strengths and all of our weaknesses, which some of us have done in the Strengths Finder, if you haven't done it and you want to do it, let's do it. The fascinating thing is, in the, in the 20 or so people or 30 or so people that have taken that test here at the church, we have almost every single strength covered. I think there's only three that we're missing. And I'd be willing to bet that the people that haven't taken it, if they were to take it, we would have them all. Because God doesn't just leave a church hanging. It doesn't happen. We desperately need each other. Amen. Desperately need each other. If we're going to fulfill the purpose that God has for us as a church, we all need to use our strengths. We all need to use the places that we're gifted and talented. We all need to get involved. We desperately need each other. This unity is so important. With one, with one mind and when, with one voice, we glorify God. Amen. And we come from all sorts of different contexts. All sorts of different you know, family histories and, and all kinds of stuff. I was talking this morning. It, there's, it's amazing how many different just kind of family dynamics there are just represented in this room. We come from all sorts of different places, but we have one goal in mind, to glorify our Father in heaven. Jesus prays that we would be united so that the world would know 
You play a part in that, and I play a part in that, which is the coolest thing. But we desperately, if we are going to really truly do this, we desperately need each other. Paul talks about kind of the same sort of thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you want to just turn there with me real quick. Starting at verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I should not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those, part of the body, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are, that are unpresentable, I'm sorry, <clears throat> and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. I want you to hear that last line. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Right, Paul's prayer here is the same as Jesus' prayer, that we would be one, that we would be united. Right, we, we desperately, desperately need each other. Here's a second reason we pray for unity, because we need each other, but so that the world will know, right, that the world would see God's love, that the world would see God's love. And here's the, the coolest thing, is that when we as a church are unified, the world begins to see a tangible expression of the love of Christ. When we are unified, they begin to see a tangible expression of the active, passionate love of Jesus. It's the same love that they receive from Christ. Right? When, when we love, when we are united, they see the love of Christ lived out in person, in the flesh, in us. I think that's just that's fascinating. Right, you go back to our Romans chapter 15 passage, and, and actually if you go one more verse, verse 7, it says this, Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, 
in order to bring praise to God. Right? 15.7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. There's this word in here. It's, it's, it's accept that we use in the English language. The Greek word is kind of too long for me to pronounce. I just, I'm not going to try. It's fine. But here's the connotation of this word in the original language. It's, it's kind of a, it's a welcoming, right? But it's more than just a, like a hello, hello kind of welcome. It's more than just a, a bring them in and let them hang out kind of acceptance and a welcome. This is a, an, a welcome that, that is like there's a connotation of an embrace here. That you would welcome them with open arms, that you would embrace them, and that you would continue to do that, and you would walk hand in hand with them as they are now a part of you. This is the connotation of what, of what is being said here in Romans, right? That, that accept one another, embrace one another, walk hand in hand with one another. He's saying be united here, right? Just as Christ accepted you. Now how did Christ accept you? Well, for me, well, I was still a sinner Christ died for me. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Before any of us said yes, before any of us finished the amen, before any of us decided this is what I want to give my life to, we were loved by Christ. And we were accepted by Christ. And not just any kind of accepted, we were accepted with open arms. We were embraced by Christ, that God would, would walk hand in hand with us, even if we didn't know he was there. Amen. Accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you. So that the world, that the world would see. Right? Unfortunately, I think the, the church, you know the top two things that the church is known for? I'm going to tell you, study after study has said this for the last decade. Top two things the church is known for, that we are judgmental and hypocritical. Sometimes they're switched in the studies, but those are always one and two. Judgmental and hypocritical. Can you imagine if somehow, some way, we began to flip that script? And that we began to be known for not, for, not for kind of what we're against or anything like that, but for rather who we're for. That we begin to be known by, by the fact that we are welcoming, that we are accepting. And not just kind of a, any kind of accept, but we accept with open arms. That we embrace anyone who walks in this room with open arms, in the same way that just like you and me, while they were still sinners, Christ died for them. Amen. Christ accepted them. Christ loved and still loves them. And guess how they will know that Christ loves them? When they come into this place and we are united, the world will know. Man, can you imagine? Can you imagine a, a church that is, that is known not, not for being judgmental, hypocritical, but being known for, for the way that we accept people, the way that we love people? Right? This is actually exactly what, what John was saying in the gospel, right? John chapter 13. If you want to turn there real quick, John chapter 13, 
Verse 34 and 35. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read it. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Then it says this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And how, so how can we begin to, to flip this script? How can we begin to, to do all this? Well, there's, there's a big hint here. He says it three times in this verse. Love one another. Be united with one another so that the world will know not only that Jesus came for them, but that Jesus loves them. No matter what, no matter when, no matter where, Jesus loves them. And Jesus loves you. If you need to hear that this morning, I want you to know that. Jesus loves you. No matter what, no matter when, no matter how, no matter where, no matter what's going on in your past, Jesus loves you. So that the world will know that Jesus loves them. We are united. We pray for unity, not just because we desperately need each other, not just so that the world would know but because we can do infinitely more together. We can do infinitely more together. There's no Lone Rangers. Did you know even the Lone Ranger had Tonto, right? He wasn't even a Lone Ranger. Think about this. You and I, the church, as we are united, can do infinitely more together. If you look at the church in Acts, we read Acts chapter 2, I think, last week. They were devoted to each other, devoted to the, the apostles' teaching and to prayer. They met in each other's homes. They, they, they ate with glad and sincere hearts. And, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 4, I think we see a, a picture, another picture of the unity of this church. And just how... how how this unity has allows them to do infinitely more together. Chapter 4, starting at verse 32. Tell me if some of this sounds familiar. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Interesting, right? Isn't that what Paul was praying for us in Romans 15? All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Right, this is a, a picture of unity here, right? This, this verse 32 is a picture of the unity of the church. And look at what God does to this church. Verse 33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. I think about this. There, there were no, and the, and the grace of God was so powerfully at work that there was no needy person among them. And we can do infinitely more together. This church is living proof of that, that as we are united, as we, as we devote ourselves to each other, to the, to the teaching of Scripture, to the Word, to Jesus Christ, as we devote ourselves to looking more and more like Christ every single day, as we devote ourselves to the unity of the church, the world would know, and we can do infinitely more together. No needy persons among them.
What would it look like here if the grace of God was so powerfully at work? I I would love to finish that sentence here at this church. At Fresno First, they were of one mind and of one body, that that the grace of God was so powerfully at work that fill in the blank. This is not just a pipe dream for me. This is not just a, a far-off kind of thinking. You can call me a young idealist if you want. I'm just not the first time I've been called that. But I believe that the church should have this in mind. Amen. That as we are united, that as we are of one mind and one voice as we glorify God, as in Romans chapter 15, that as we are, that as we are one as Jesus and the Father are one, as, as this happens that the grace of God would so powerfully be at work that fill in the blank. One mind. One body. I think there would be, be more unbelievers who are willing to say, yeah, I don't really know. I don't, I don't really know about this Jesus thing yet. But man, that community is something I want to be a part of. Look at the way that they love each other. Look at how united that they are. Talk about flipping the script. This is it. As a local church, we need to be United. And we need to pray for this unity. What are we united about? We're united about the gospel. We're united around the fact that that, that John three sixteen says that God so loved the world that he gave his son. We're united around the fact that it's not just for you and for me. That's for everybody. We're united around Jesus Christ. And I love the promise in John chapter 17. I'm just going to read that one more time before we stop here. John chapter 17. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. We pray for unity. One of the ways that the, the church, overall church, the big church, big C church, is united is in the belief that, that Jesus came to earth and that he died for you, and that he died for me, and that he rose again on the third day. And one of the ways that for centuries and centuries we have celebrated this fact is through coming to the communion table and taking part in the communion together. We're going to take communion this morning. And as the, as the elements are passed out, I would just ask you this. I would ask you just to reflect. 
And I would ask you to pray for the unity, not of this church necessarily, of this church as well, but, but of the larger church, the church as a whole. So that the world would know that Jesus was sent by God. And so the world would know that they are loved by God. And here at the church, you don't have to be a member to be able to take communion. All we ask is that you have faith in Jesus Christ, that you've given your life to him. So as the communion is passed around, I just encourage you, hold them in your hand and just reflect, and we'll take them together. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward to the handout offering, or to hand out communion.
1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says this. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. God, we love you. And we give thanks for you this morning. We give thanks for for your love in our lives, God. That you loved us so much to to send your son to, to live the perfect life, to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserve to die so that we might live with you forever and eternally. God, we are we're thankful for you and we praise you this morning. God, as we, as we leave, would we be in prayer together for unity? Because as your scripture says this morning, it's through the unity of the church that the world will know that you sent your son and that the world would know that you love them. God, help us as we go forward. Would you be in our conversations? Would you be in our our workplaces, our homes? We would honor you with whatever we have, God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Would you stand with me this morning? Let me just pray this prayer of blessing over you as you go. May the God of peace and joy of grace and love and of kindness. May he go with you, may he go ahead of you. May you be bold for him this week and make a difference wherever you may find yourself. And may he show you the unity that he's requiring of us. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace, go in peace.